we know that today we just have to think of the thing mm -hmm. that is possible but we have not yet conceived wow. so lastly I'm going to ask you about the topic of uh, the abolishment of Roe versus Wade I can't let you leave without oh, yeah. finding out what you have to say about the about this incident well the first thing that I will say um, and I had a friend of mine have to remind me of that abortion is still legal it is still the law of the land. No matter what, you know, depending what happens with Roe v. Wade, there will still be states where abortion is illegal. So I don't want folks, I want folks to know that they still have rights right now. But I fundamentally believe that a person's right to decide when and whether they have a family is an economic issue. And therefore it is a labor issue. And I will have that conversation and debate with anyone. I think there is an opportunity here for labor to show up in a way that we haven't shown up before and clarify that abortion rights and access to reproductive health and access to reproductive freedom is a labor issue. And it's time for the labor community to throw down on that. And that's just a hard stop for me. Well, um, I guess that puts a pin in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sister Sims, I want to thank you once again for being my guest. The Oregon chapter of the Coalition of Black Trade Unionists meets the second Tuesday of every month at 6 p.m. via Zoom. Hit us up on our Facebook page if you're interested in joining our eventer. Our next meeting will be on June 14, 2022. Also, come check us out at the upcoming Juneteenth celebration and the Dr. Charles Drew Blood Drive on June 18th. We'll also be at the Good in the Hood celebration on June 24th, 25th, and 26th. Our email address is orcbtu10gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Join us in our evolving adventure of representing black union workers. Thanks again, Sister Sims, for joining us tonight. And with that, I'll say holla. Baby, you understand me now. If sometimes you see that I'm mad. Don't you know no one alive can always be an angel? Oh, they will be prison.
Hi, greetings and welcome to Prison Pipeline, airing from the studios of KBOO Portland. I'm your host, Adam Carpinelli. Prison Pipeline presents a unique perspective with a criminal justice system addressing the root causes of crime and broadening understanding of the institution of incarceration. And today we're here with Gail Sanders. How are you doing? Fine. How are you? Great. Thanks so much for being on and want to hear about all this great work that you're doing. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, just first off how you got involved with all this amazing work that you're doing? Well, first, thank you for having me. And But secondly, how I got involved was basically um, I decided to move to Reno, Nevada. And in searching for employment, I came to work for a civil rights attorney. And he did a lot of work with the NAACP, you know, and various different things. He also was a panel attorney for the state of Nevada when there was a there was a conflict in the DA's office when the a convicted person would file a state habeas petition. So when there was a conflict, the state of Nevada would then contact the panel attorneys and say, hey, can you take this case? Can you do this habeas petition on our behalf or, you know, as their counsel and we'll pay you. So that's what he did. And so when I started working for him, that's how I got exposed to the criminal justice system and, and the corruption inside it. I did that for a while. And then I decided, well, heck, if you're going to do that, then why don't you do the state or the federal habeas petitions? And so I applied for him to be on the CJA panel for habeas petitions in the U.S. District Courts in Nevada. So that's how that started. Um, he also was heavily involved in the NAACP. He was the president for three years. I was also involved. Then that's how I got involved in the NAACP and did some work with the ACLU as well. And then I was the treasurer for the Reno Sparks branch of the NAACP for, I think it was like three years. That started it all. Um, that's where the exposure started. And then I realized that, wait a minute, these guys don't have any clue as to timelines and statute of limitations. So I found that in doing some of these things, they were running short on time because when you file a state habeas petition, you have a year from the date the mandate is filed or your, your direct appeal has been concluded. So you've got 365 days from that point in time to file your state habeas petition. But what they didn't know and didn't realize was that along with that 365 days statute of limitation, their federal habeas petition ran parallel to that 365. So both were running at the same time together. So if they waited a long time to do their state habeas petition and they, they were denied all the way up to the Supreme Court, then when they went to file their federal habeas, they probably ran out of time and then they get time barred and then they can't file their petition because they ran out of time. So that kind of really set my thought process in motion. And I thought, well, wait a minute, these guys have to know this stuff. Somebody has to tell them this stuff. So, you know, let's do this nonprofit. And that's how I started. That's what got the wheels turning. 
And then from there, I began to realize that a lot of the guys inside, they're like forgotten. They don't, you know, friends, families, and people move on, especially if they are down for a long time or they don't have family and they just feel very isolated. So I kind of thought, all right, well, you know, I can get them to do pen pal applications and get on pen pal sites and whatever else they, you know, needed. There's a ton of different things that I've come across that these guys need. They, they want a Facebook page or they want an Instagram presence. Well, there's different ways to communicate through email. Some are one way, meaning me to them. And you've got Corelinks, you've got JPay and Securus. So those are the three, I think, main email sites to use. So I would email these guys and, you know, I have one guy out of Ohio that says, hey, can I, you know, have you help me do this stuff? He belongs to the, oh gosh, I can't think of the name of it. It's some kind of religious organization and and he's heavily involved in it. So he's building his base, so to speak, for people that he works with and and teaches these teachings and, and that kind of thing. So he gets involved with a lot of guys and I email back and forth and do things like that. I've got a guy that's in Oklahoma. I just emailed him the other day because I hadn't heard from him because I was working on his trying to get him parole. He's a little over 70 and he's got a lot of health issues. So we're trying to get the Oklahoma parole board to release him because of his medical and and various different things. He's ex-military, you know, that's a tough one um, because he went down for murder. That's what they claim he did. Um, He's always professed his innocence. So I emailed him and, you know, kind of checking in with him, see how things were going. But these are some of the things that I kind of do. Um, I decided a little over about a year and a half ago, even though I had my guys networked and I got referrals through other guys in, in prisons and things like that, I figured that I would try to drum up a little bit more business and try to get a little bit of income in anyway. So what I decided to do is put an ad in the prison legal news and, you know, put the word out there, so to speak, that, you know, if they needed research done or they needed their court records or medical records, whatever their case may be, to contact me. And so I got quite a bit of correspondence by doing that. And so things have started to build and, you know, I've got guys all over the United States that I'm helping doing various different things. I set up websites, like I said, Facebook, my guy in Ohio, he had one book that he had was selling on Amazon and he was in the process of finishing up a second book. And he said, can you help me finish this? And then I've got one more book that I need finishing. So I said, sure, why not? So we're actually, we've, the second book we've already put up on Amazon and I'm in the process now of putting his third book up. Another guy in Nevada, same thing. He had a book of poems and he didn't even think he could write. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. You're absolutely, you know, the words flow with you. And so I did a book for him. 
So there's a lot of different things that I do. And I have another guy, he's in California and he basically needs help. He's got a 1983 petition in a US district court and he's also fighting his criminal case. So what I'm doing there is he sends me his pleadings and I make copies, I serve them, and then I file them with the courts. I help them where I can is kind of where it's going. Some of the other things that I do is support prisoner programs, inmate initiated, and they run the programs. I have one, and these are pretty much, these are all out of Colorado. I've got one that's a lifer program, which was one of my guys that was in Nevada that they ended up transferring to Colorado. So it's a lifer program. It's more of on the restorative justice type of frame and deals with a little bit of mental health, victim impact, and various other things. So there's that one. Then I have another guy is more of on the health, in the health area, where it's all about mental meditation and things of that nature. He's being certified as a yoga instructor, and he's going to be teaching other guys how to do that. And then I have another guy that he's created a game. So basically that's an educational type platform where the questions are geared. You get gather a group of people. The questions are geared toward various groups. Like if you've got like a mental health or maybe prisoners and let's say, I can't think off the top of my head, but there's other various areas and, and all those questions are geared toward that. So it engages the people in the audience to answer these questions. And then for each question that they get right, then they earn points and then they can use those points to buy squares on a prize game board and see if they win something. So that's in progress. And then I have another guy that is focused more on the juveniles and getting them through the system, especially when they're, you know, they've been convicted young you know, 15, 16 years old. Colorado has a JCAP program, though the program only allows them to apply to get into the program after they've been down 20 years or so, which to me seems there's a huge gap there between when they go in and 20 years down the road, which leads to, you know, uh, you know, they could go a lot of different ways, given the fact that they're with, you know, older men in the prison because they're being tried in as adults. So Gail, it's almost a question for you is like, what does your organization not do? I mean, it sounds like you're supporting <laughs> a lot of different people around the country. Uh-huh. Um, and so it's almost a question of like, uh, maybe in in this, this great work that you're doing, supporting incarcerated persons, what, uh-huh. is, what is it maybe that, that you're not doing? Cause it sounds like it's, it's a lot. So I guess, what I'm asking is sort of like, is there any, you know, process of elimination? You have to kind of turn people down for certain things because y'all are already, you know, do, doing so much and helping right. so many people. Right. And and you're, you're right. I mean, there's only so much that we can do at the present time. Now, if I was able to, you know, this is something else that we're trying to work on is getting more funding through donations and grants and things of that nature trying to find a grant writer to find uh, grants that fit 
my kind of little organization's niche is, is a little difficult, but donations are welcome from anyone. And since it's a 501c3, all donations are tax deductible. So until we can get more individuals that I can, you know, more volunteers and hopefully employees, then we can expand and do more for more individuals. I mean, it's part of like, there's two basic areas. There's the advocacy part where, you know, we try to find attorneys that will take on these, you know, individuals cases. Or if I like with my guy in Oklahoma, I was working with a law firm and basically I was working for the firm, but my, through my own self and I was doing the work and they were supervising me. So therefore, because I'm not an attorney, I have to be supervised by a law firm in order to do the work that I do when it becomes the legal work. I try that and I do that as much as I can. It's just, it depends on what I'm doing and, and what I've got, what projects are going at the time. And then I just take it from there. I do have to turn down people. Some, you know, it's just that I, I don't even know where to start. For folks just tuning in, you're listening to Prison Pipeline airing from the studios of KBO Portland. And we're here with Gail Sanders of Destination Freedom, which is found at destination-freedom.org is the website to support this great organization. And Gail, when we started talking, actually one of the first things you kind of mentioned was alluding to your observation that a lot of incarcerated persons are unaware of maybe some, maybe a lot of legal matters and issues. And that is a whole thing to unpack there. Why is that? What is it? What's going on there? As you went on this journey to learn about all this stuff, how did that un- unfold and, and kind of speak to the problem of today, which is that, you know, a lot of people, whether they're incarcerated or not, know squat about really le- the legal system, especially if they're, you know, not caught up in it or something. And then all of a sudden, maybe somebody does get caught up in it. And it's like, poof, now you need to know all this stuff who's going to tell you, maybe nobody's going to tell you. And of course, where does power and privilege involve that process as well? Yeah. I mean, you know, it, that is a very difficult, especially for the families. I mean, if you've got a family member that ends up getting arrested and, you know, they've never been involved in, you know, they've never been, they've never had a criminal record or anything of that nature. So it, everybody's kind of lost in not knowing what to do. So the organization can be contacted to kind of give some guidelines. One of the things that we've got as a future project that we're going to be working on hopefully and growing here within the next six months to a year is with my guy that's coming out of Ohio. He's being released at the end of July. Um, We're going to be starting to do some documentaries. We're doing, you know, we're going to be doing things to inform the public on the criminal justice system, how to navigate through it. We'll pick specific topics like false confessions, for an example, you know, that people just don't under, they can't, the concept of a false confession is kind of unimaginable. You know, the, another thing is you have to, you, you really need an attorney. You don't need to, you know, speak to anybody if there's an arrest. That's, that's a real key because the saying everything can and will be used against you in a court of law, that is true to the core because they will use anything against you, anything and everything. You know, I'm trying to protect these guys or anybody that 
is arrested because I just don't believe, it's my opinion, that the system is not fair. And they have an agenda and they're looking to protect the community, get the perpetrator off the streets, which is great, but get the right person. Don't wrongfully convict somebody. And we see a lot, a lot of that going on. And the statistics alone for after you've been arrested, you know, plea deals, 95% of the people that have been charged with crimes are pled out. So you've got people that may or may not be guilty and they're going to have a criminal record for the rest of their life. That's not right. If they've done it, fine. Do your time, you know, accept your responsibility, be accountable for your actions, but this get your man at all cost mentality is, it's horrible. It destroys families. It destroys children, mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers. How can you, I, I don't know how people sleep. I don't know how, how prosecutors sleep at night. I, I honestly don't. I mean, not all of them are bad and not all of them. There's a lot that do their job correctly and the way it should be and they seek justice and that's great. But then there are those that don't and it's more of a climb the financial ladder kind of mentality. But, you know, that's what we have to deal with. Hopefully through education to we're going to, so anyway, I got kind of got off track here a little bit, but uh, so we're going to be putting these documentaries together so that people can gain the knowledge and be able to have a better understanding of how they need to deal with situations so that they don't go in blind and just, you know, think, okay, well, you know, they're, they're just trying to, you know, ask me these questions and, you know, nothing's going to happen. That's not the case. A lot of the time, you know, things do happen and they, things get twisted around. The other thing that I was kind of, we've been planning on doing and, and hopefully this is going to take a lot more funding, obviously, but the other things we'd like to do is to be able to hire a couple criminal defense attorneys and start being able to handling actual criminal cases from the beginning so they don't get pled out. And that, you know, obviously we're going to have to, you know, screen the cases and, and, and really look into them and stuff like that. But it's not going to be at a cost to the individual who was arrested or is charged with the crime. You know, it's going to replace the public defender because the public defender doesn't have the time. They've got tons of cases and they work in the same office with the prosecuting attorney. And um, there's way too much interaction within those two divisions. And I kind of, you know, I've come to come to the reality a little bit that when I started looking at it from a standpoint of, well, okay, <laughs> everybody's working for the state or the county. Well, if they're going to do something, especially in a state habeas kind of scenario, more so than in the, in the actual trial, the criminal trial, you basically you've got your judge and you've got your prosecutor that handled the trial is now handling your state habeas. Well, I mean, for them to admit that they're wrong, I'm not so sure that you know, that they would ever do that or very few 
if at all, because you've got funding issues and you've got job security. And when your paycheck is coming from the county or the state, going against them and showing that they did something wrong, not a good idea. So that's my thinking as far as trying to catch it from the beginning, instead of trying to work a case after they've been convicted, which I would probably venture to say about 98% of the time goes nowhere. The, the, the cases never get overturned. So why not go and do it from the beginning and try to do it the right way? And, you know, depending on the type of case it is, you get your experts, you get, you try to get as much discovery as you can. You try to just do it in the best way possible. So that's kind of my hope and dream is that we can do that instead of depending on um, public defenders. You bring this really interesting point there that is like kind of a, you know, sort of a rhetorical question, I guess, but it's, it's like, mm-hmm. who's working for incarcerated persons, right, within the system itself? Mm-hmm. So if the system supposedly represents we the people, all the people, but at the mm-hmm. end of the day, right, I mean, it's all based on all this internal and implicit bias and and the, and, the, and it goes on and on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and of course, with our program, we want to support incarcerated persons as much as possible mm-hmm. and, and inform the, the public as well. So right. that the, the, so the question here is, um, and as we you know wrap up in our last few minutes, how do people connect with you in different ways? Because we again we have the website destination freedomorg uh-huh. In the case of prisoners and you know incarcerated persons who would want to get in touch, and you mentioned you get referrals and people get in touch in different ways. And so uh-huh. what what might be if there are different avenues? for doing that, including if it's if it's uh, in writing. And of course, we can make sure we have this on our website. Right. I think, you know, with incarcerated individuals, I guess I believe I'm going to try to do another ad in the, the prison legal news. I want to say September through October, November of 2021, I had my ad in the prison legal news. Um, but again, you know, the address is on the website. I can give you my phone number, and that is area code 775-335-7773. And, you know, family members can reach out to me. They can text me. They can contact me via email, which is gsanders at destination-freedom.org, O-R-G. So those are a couple ways to reach out to me. If somebody just didn't catch that, though, can we say the the email and the phone number one more time? Okay. Area code 775-335-7773. That's the phone number. You can also reach me at my email address, gsanders at destination-freedom.org. Great. And people should definitely check this out. And, and you know, part of the reason I was asking, too, is just mm-hmm. in the way that people who are interested in this kind of work but don't have any idea, you know, how, how do you get in touch with people who are inside, you know, that you likewise wouldn't really know, right, and to right. And how to support them. So it seems like these are things that are, you know, the, some of the main resources nationally, like with the kind of stuff that you're doing. Any any uh, kind of closing closing uh, comments, thoughts, shout outs to any uh, particular persons inside or anything like that? 
I, yeah, I, I don't, <laughs> I guess I look forward to working with uh, one of my guy in Ohio. His name is Robert Bourne Goldwire. He's out of Marion, Ohio. We're going to be working closely together and trying to really ramp up this support for the guys and the women inside to help them as much as we can and expand the organization and just educate the public on what to do if one of your loved ones becomes arrested and, and incarcerated. And um, that's, I think a lot of that, because I feel individuals feel like they're lost sometimes and they don't know where to go and don't know who to turn to, don't know where to ask questions. And it can seem, I believe, a little daunting and, and, and I mean, you're already upset because your family member has been arrested. And, you know, it's like, oh God, what do I do now? You know, kind of thing. So hopefully with our our YouTube presence and, and various website, you know, my the website and with posting of videos and things like that, then we can really start. It's gonna take a while, but hopefully we'll be able to reach a lot of individuals and really help them as much as we can. Well, sounds like there's a lot of great things on the horizon and would love to have you back again at some point and hear more about all the great things that are happening in the progress of those projects. Thanks again. You've been listening to Prison Pipeline airing from the studios of KBOO Portland. Listen to this and previous Prison Pipeline programs at kboo.fm slash prison pipeline. Like Prison Pipeline on Facebook. Special thanks to our guest and Prison Pipeline Collective member Karen James for production. Free them all. Thank you.